0: Hi, I'm Jeremy Roberts. You may remember me as Commander Valtaine from Star Trek VI and Star Trek Voyager, and also Mesoclon from Deep Space Nine. And you're listening to Trek Untold.
1: Hello and welcome back to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. On this week's episode, we're spending some time with an actor named Jeremy Roberts. He's been a cop, a kidnapper, a thug, a biker, a bouncer, the oldest living vampire, as well as a commander in Starfleet. And by the way, I was talking about his roles, not his actual jobs, although he actually did bounce for a little while. And as you'll hear today, he had quite a twisty, turny road that eventually found himself landing in Hollywood and becoming an actor, a job that he never thought he would actually have in the first place. You may remember Jeremy from his two appearances as Commander Dimitri Valtain, first from Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country, serving aboard Captain Sulu's ship the Excelsior. Jeremy reprised that same character on the third season episode of Voyager titled Flashback. He also appeared in Deep Space Nine as a Jem'Hadar soldier named Mesoclon from the fourth season episode Hippocratic Oath. Outside of Star Trek, Jeremy has had a bustling career with over 100 TV and film appearances, including roles on Hercules, Xena, 21 Jump Street, Matlock, Doogie Howser, Jake and the Fat Man, Seinfeld, Sister Act, The Mask, Renegade, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, two CSI series, Charmed, Veronica Mars and much, much more. Jeremy has crossed paths with some of Hollywood's elite and has a lot of interesting story from his time on these different sets. So let's grab a cup of tea just like Captain Sulu, sit back, and enjoy some of these tales from Commander Valtane himself, Jeremy Roberts. But before we begin this week's episode, if you'd like to support this show, please don't forget to follow Trek Untold on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to get the latest updates and all sorts of other fun Star Trek-related content. You can also check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash trekuntold, where you can support this show for as little as $2 a month. At higher tiers, you can check out the shows before they come out, know about my guests in advance, and even have a chance to ask them questions, among other benefits coming soon. Shout out to our sponsor, Triple Fiction Productions, who create 3D-printed toys and prop replicas inspired by Star Trek. Their items come in all shapes and all sizes and are always amazing, but you're going to hear a little bit more about them later on in the show. If you're listening to us on iTunes or any other audio platform that allows for ratings and reviews, please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review. If you're watching this on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to us at youtube.com slash today, and give the video a thumbs up and a comment. Doing any of those things help keep this show growing and allow me to continue bringing you awesome guests and great conversations every single week. Now without further ado, let's beam in this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. And welcome back to Trek Untold. And now joining me on the other side of the screen here, we've got a veteran actor who has been in a ton of things that I am a huge fan of. So this is going to be real exciting today. We've got Mr. Jeremy Roberts with us. Jeremy, how's it going today? Good. How are you? It's good to meet you. And, yeah, I had a lot of fun looking through your resume and watching a lot of shows and movies that I'm a big fan of and seeing your face and being like, oh, my God, I'm going to talk to this guy. So, (laughs) uh, yeah, let's just jump right on in here. And uh, I'd love to ask you the question I ask all my guests first. And that would be, Jeremy, what's your earliest memory of Star Trek?
0: Uh, it would have to be the day, well, I heard of it coming up when I was young. I was 11 turning 12, I think, uh, 65, 6, something like that. I uh, and there's a show was coming, and I'd heard about it. So I said, well, let's hit it. And I saw it and loved it and just was stuck.
1: That's pretty much the story I've heard from a lot of folks. They all just kind of came into it when they were younger, and they actually enjoyed it.
0: And lo and behold years later they get to be in it that's that's the odd thing about it is that uh <laughs> i think about it now and i look at it i go oh you know gosh that was just terrible i mean well the sets are, you know you know because the way you see them now it, it, you know you can tell if it's not completely and if you know you're in space and there's no way they could shoot this it's cgi but and back then it's just wow this is the most incredible thing in the world or, space the final frontier it was not even a clue that i was going to get into it later there was no way i was going to act anyway it wasn't even a thought
1: Oh, that's good to hear because that actually leads into my next line of questioning and that's uh i'd like to get a little bit of background information about you jeremy so can you tell us where you were born what your parents did for a living and what little jeremy wanted to be when he grew up because apparently it wasn't an
0: actor (laughs) no 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 i didn't even i did do a play in in uh junior high school high one of those I, maybe I've forgotten it because it was, it was our town. I don't know what made me think to do this. It was just a credit you had to take in school, and I did this play and it was one of the grave diggers. I don't know if you know our town, grave digger in it, very small part. And and I fell in the hole that they had put as a grave on the stage, and that just didn't bode well for my being an actor. I was so embarrassed. I was never going to do that again. So, but anyway, that's later. I was born in Birmingham, Alabama. I had um, ten uncles and aunts, and uh, they all tried to remove me from my mother because, you know, back in 1954, you don't have a child that isn't got a father because I didn't know my father, and, and uh, I ended up finding out later. It's a whole other story. It's a book, but uh, uh, she was uh, my mom was a great cook and a Southern lady, magnificent. My dad was a chef. Uh, well, my stepdad, who I met when I was seven, I'm, I was at their wedding. Do we have a. Oh, oh, oh. I think this is just coincidental. I have these pictures of things, you know, we're, we're getting together to do a. It's Xena. <laughs> yeah, there's Xena. Yep.
1: See, we were in two episodes of Xena, two episodes of Hercules.
0: Can you see this?
1: Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's, that's seven year old uh, Jeremy.
0: That's me right there. Wow. My, my dad, they're both passed away now a couple of years ago, but uh, that's funny. Yeah, I was, I was seven. They got me a little, little suit and packed me up. And when they went on their honeymoon right after the wedding, they realized that they had uh, forgot to uh, pack up my bag and give it to me and left it someplace. And they were already gone and we couldn't get to it. So I ended up wearing that for about two weeks, that white suit. They just kept washing it.
1: You <laughs> were the most well-dressed child, pretty much, uh, during that honeymoon.
0: Oh, yeah. <clears throat> After that, anyway, I didn't care about My dad, he started teaching me how to cook when he had a he had a chili house in Silver Lake, California. It was a diner, seven seat. At nine or ten years old, he had me out there peeling potatoes and learning how to cook. And one day I was left alone while he went off to the bank or something, make a deposit. And there I'm sitting there cooking fries and burgers and breakfasts just like any Denny's and handling the whole thing myself and realizing, wow, I'm really good at this. So I quit and joined the Marine Corps because I'm not gonna be peeling potatoes forever. So but then I didn't realize Nam would happen and that just ruined my whole my whole day. <clears throat> After that, I went to started I actually went to work for my dad at he uh, for this, uh, after this, he was a chef at the country club about half a block from Warner Brothers. And the smokehouse is right there too. It's very famous for the stars going in to one of those red leather places. And I was a lifeguard and, and also I worked the ninth hole in the golf course. So then I told, of course, you have to stop and have a drink, you know. And every, every famous star that ever was walked through there from, my goodness, uh, Gene Autry and uh, Rudy Valley to the Bing Crosby's and Bob Hopes and John Wayne. I mean, when John Wayne came through, he ordered the branch water and I'm, I'm I'm bringing a drink to John Wayne. It's That's just, crazy. You know, it was too much. I still had no idea that I was going to be an actor. I also worked the, uh, lifeguard and uh they actually required you to wear stuff that you would wear if you were actually a member. They didn't want you to look like a lifeguard. You had to blend in. Which yay. You know, I ordered order my lunch and I still didn't want back there. I I do remember once um it was an Easter, an Easter celebration and all the kids and Rudy I'm not um uh, anyway it doesn't matter. Uh, Frankie Avalon's kids were there and John Wayne's grandkids were there and I taught them all how to swim, which is interesting to me now. I saved all of your kids. (laughs) Um, And I remember looking up, there's these five or six steps coming down into the pool area and the sun was shining behind this guy who walked in tall, six, whatever. I mean, I just looked at him and then the sun kind of like that Jesus thing behind him. He steps down the stairs, and I go, man, that guy is going to be famous. He just he looks wise. he's just going to be it. And It turned out it was Tom Selleck, and he had just was the uh, Marlboro Man. And I, I recognized him then. And I went, oh, yeah, that's the Marlboro Man. Oh, he's going to be something. <laughs> <laughs> I ended up reading for him years later and reminding him of that that meeting then, but I didn't get the part. It was Magnum, I think, at the time. So.
1: That's quite I a roundabout roles. way. That's that's quite a roundabout road to get into the world of acting, though. Cause, I mean, you're doing basically a lot of, uh, I'll some, some kind of similar to roles you'll be doing later on. Because I noticed during your career, you did a lot of police officer roles. So I feel like it's kind of fun. You're doing like merchant marines, you're doing lifeguard, you're doing a lot of protection stuff here. Uh, so I'm kind of curious though, so, like how do all these things lead you into the road to acting and performing. Uh,
0: I, I I'm thinking it was probably uh, fate in a weird way. When I was uh, teens and maybe 10, 11 in there, I would have a recurring dream. And, and, it, and it happened quite a bit. I've told this story before, but it's just because I, I can't figure out why, why anybody would know the future. And I had a dream and it, uh, the Reader's Digest version, it was uh, me going into a Victorian home, setting my bags down in the front room and, and I'm there and I'm going to start my life or whatever it is. And that was in uh, American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco. I got into that school and went to San Francisco. Found the name of some guys that were also in the school and were putting, had a house there, put together as roommates. And we were all going, and I got it, went up the stairs, went in my bag, put it down and went, this is exact. I'm getting chills now. Every time I tell this, I get chills and I don't understand how it happened. This is the dream. I dreamt that I was going to have this experience of walking into this room put the bags down, look down the hall, see the other guy in the exact face. It's Kent Adams is his name. Are you out there, Kent? Anyway, Kent Adams. And I didn't know at the time, the dream, it's just a guy in that face turned out to be that roommate and with the other guy showing me that room. And that was me at ACT going to school to be an actor. And how would I know that uh, about 25 years earlier and 20 years earlier and six every every now and then? I don't, is it a God? Is it, uh, I don't know. How can you possibly know the future? It was, it was photographically the future, which says to me, it, I've done it already once. How could the, um, I, I don't have the intelligence to understand. Is it a God? I don't know. So some kind of higher calling just told you this is what you got to do. But actually the, uh, the physical getting into acting was just done by a favor a friend of mine he had a, a girlfriend who was a director in Monrovia and 30 seat theater. And they were doing um, uh, uh, the, boyf- the boyfriend and laughing. And I was taking, no, I was laughing. It was a TV series on, on, in the sixties. And could you take his place? Uh, he broke his leg. He said, you in the Indian. You have to play an Indian, uh, 7-Eleven or something. And I went, Oh, I can't. So oh, you can do the action. You can, it doesn't have to be great. It's terrible. Anyway. I went, Okay, but just for a little while, I'll do this. And when he comes back, thinking, as soon as I got on the stage, said the line, and it was like I accepted Jesus into my life. I knew this is what I had to do. I've got to do this. This is great. <laughs> you get up. You don't have to be you. And they applaud. And you make people happy, hopefully.
1: That's quite a switch around from being in our town to then being uh, on laugh. I mean, that's a two totally polar opposite experiences also.
0: Oh, first was humiliating. and. But then the the, the other one, <laughs> I could never look at myself, act. So it, some of these I haven't seen in 25 years. I have to go back and find them and look because I, I, uh, I just couldn't. I, I don't know. I had a bad opinion of how I acted. And I thought something must be wrong with my opinion of my acting because they keep hiring me. So I'm going to go with what they think and just don't look at it. I don't know, Some a lot of, a lot of actors can just get right up there in the dailies or right there behind the camera with the, the director after they've shot something and watch it all. And I'm like, "Phew! I'd be quitting." I just think I stunk. <laughs> but I look back now and I go, oh, well, "You're not so bad." I, okay, maybe I'm just old now.
1: So normally on the show, I'd ask about what your first uh, professional acting gig would be, but it sounds like laughing was that first role, right? So um... not professional. So, what would you say would be your very first uh, professional role then?
0: Oh, well, in in on um, film and television, it uh, was uh, Hooperman. Uh, John Ritter did a what they call the dramedy, half hour and half hour, you know, savory and sweet, I guess. I don't know. So that was the first one. So I robbed him at a seven at a, at a sushi bar, <laughs> and that was fun. Had a line, a joke, and great guy. I miss him.
1: Yeah, we've actually talked about John Ritter a bunch in the show in the past, and I love hearing about John Ritter. I mean, how how was he offset? Was he exactly how uh, he appears like he is on TV?
0: Exactly. I mean, you. I guess that's what made him, a, I think, what makes somebody a good actor is if you have a lot of yourself in it, you know, or you've got to be able to. I mean, he's just that kind of a dad, that nice person. <laughs> I mean, I didn't have to. Uh, grovel in order to get just to, to know him or talk. Or, oh, I'm going to talk to the star. I, I could never do that very well anyway, but he was just so open, friendly. And he was the first one because I never thought, you know, you, you get through the school and you do really well and you think, okay, who knows, Hollywood may just go, you know, the camera doesn't like you. you. don't know what reason you may not make it or not. So, but I thought, well, if I do get a job, I better at least have one photo sign, you know. So I went to a Hollywood store. And, when I got that Hooperman, I said John Rader, and they say, looked through some. I got one, brought it on the set, and finally got up the nerve to ask him, and he signed it for me. I've got it up my wall, in the other and another in the, other end of the den. Yeah, just gonna ask. And after that, that it was like now I have two or three hundred of them. It, the <laughs> point was that I didn't think I was ever going to have one signed or a picture. Uh, was
1: that something that you started to do throughout your career? Was when you were you were on a show, did you get like an eight by ten signed by a uh, performers?
0: Oh, I did that for everyone if I wow. could, and then it, I, you start to work a lot, and you you kind of are just glad you're working and you forget and you don't do it. And it just becomes, uh, but you come back and you go, wow, I have like 300 of the, of these people all you know, up. But, and then I ruined most of them by wanting to be in the photo and have them sign it to me, which completely made it worthless. <laughs> I mean, if I you know, don't, don't put my name on it. I could get 50 bucks for this when I'm old and, and didn't make it. And I, I didn't think at the time I'm thinking. I got to have proof that I really wasn't.
1: So one of my favorite shows and one of the things I love to talk about here on Trek Untold that isn't star Trek is murder. She wrote, and you were in one of those episodes, uh, which was the episode called test of wills, a very punny murder. She wrote title. Cause it's about wills and you, know, you can pretty much figure things out from there. Uh, but it's one of those episodes that actually doesn't take place in Cabot Cove, which makes it pretty unique. Uh, and in that episode, you're there as Sergeant Stokely. So this is a role of you as a police officer, which is apparently a position you were quite a lot in your acting career <laughs> for some reason.
0: Well, actually, only in the beginning.
1: Really? I okay, yeah. I noticed, like, I I noticed like, think... early on, like you were doing shows like, uh, you you did like Doogie Hauser, National Lampoon's Crucification, LA Law. There's a lot of like police
0: roles early on, I noticed. Wait a minute. You're maybe, you're right. Wonder Years, I was a cop. But I thought I was more of a, a murderer, thief, drug addict, alien than anything. <laughs> but I did do a, oh, LA Law. That's right. I was a cop.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm we'll usually
0: figure. chasing cops down the street and then them <laughs> imprisoning me or shooting me. Chasing Cups or uh, Vampire
1: Slayers, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. But oh, yeah. uh, so As far as Murder, She Wrote, though, I mean, this episode here, you've got some real veterans that you're working with here uh, besides Angela Lansbury. You've got, you know, Morgan Woodward, Gene uh, Barry, Philip Abbott, a lot of like real big, big character actors in the industry. Uh, but again, in particular, I love hearing about Angela Lansbury, so I'd love to hear about your experience working on that set and what it was like being around
0: these luminaries. Well, to me, these, uh, I always, I have it in my mind, it's these, these five or six Icons, the I, 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 like word icon and stars thrown around so much, but they were. These were huge. They, Angela Lansbury is like, she is our, one of our oldest living actresses. And, and and they're all passing away now. It's saddening me. Oh, and my wife is looking into the Motion Picture Fund retirement home for me. I'm thinking, I'm only 67, but I guess you have to think about that stuff. Anyway, but Angela and them, I remember a lot of it just sitting around and just staring at these people, because I my my mom would wake me up at midnight to watch the midnight movie in Hollywood, and I was a child, so I got I got turned on the the forties movies, fifties, sixties, just when I was a kid. Not even you know, William Powell's all. I just love old movies. So here was Angela Lansbury in all the ones I've seen, and Gene Barry. I mean, Bat Masterson and. And uh I think, I don't remember the, I think what happened was I got to do something with Morgan Woodward later. He became much more of a closer friend or a nice, you don't you don't get to be a lot of friends with people, but for long time, forever. But uh yeah, he invited me out to the ramp. Morgan Woodward, he's you know, he was, I'm looking at him going, this is this is the man with no gl- no eyes. He's he's uh, cool hand Luke. <laughs> How am I gonna how am I gonna have a line with him? How am I gonna hand, be able to stand up to this monster acting and uh, Angela too and, I, and, and it was uh, remedied for me because uh, we were by the time they got to my big scene where I'm, I'm gonna explain stuff uh, that's going on in the tape, uh, the, these stars, they of course have to they didn't want to, but the, the set they wanted to get him off the set, get him home. And they shot them, so they had the camera over my shoulder, shooting Angela's lines, and then they'd shoot Morgan Woodward's, and then they'd shoot, they'd shoot everybody out of it. And then as they finished their, sh- their shot, they'd go home, and then they put in a script girl or a key grip, or not, there's anything wrong with them, but it's not the same thing saying my lines, <laughs> but maybe it would work out, because then I wasn't afraid saying these things to these people, because it's a grip guy that's hearing it. It's not, you know, Gene Barry. It's not Morgan Woodward. I mean, put your glasses on you it. You have those glasses. Can you wear them? They, they sent them all home and then I did my lines. So maybe it was it's better. Interesting. But it, it was kind of disappointing. Like, oh, why? They didn't get to see my stuff. I gave them my best stuff off <laughs> camera.
1: Actually, <laughs> did do scenes with them. I just rewatched the episode. And like, you're there with scenes with them. But I didn't realize that you were actually were doing basically separate takes alone as they were all going home for the day. That's, that's pretty they, crazy. They
0: weren't even there whenever I
1: talked. Wow. Did you get to spend any time, like saying anything? Were you able to muster up the courage talk to anybody on set that day, or say hello to anybody, shake some hands?
0: No, no, except Morgan. I did, I did. I guess because I really liked uh, Cool Hand Luke. He did such a performance without having to say a word. I mean, <laughs> so no, I, I, I was too, too young, too afraid. And even then, I didn't, I never got over the fact that oh, like I did a diagnosis murder. You know, Dick Van Dyke and uh, Piper Laurie. I mean, it was just, I actually almost had a little bit of a breakdown with him. Not really, but I, where he had to come over and put his arm around me and go, what's the problem here? And I'm like, I'm oh, just taking lines to, you know, da 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 And he, he like laugh, and he goes, and the next thing you know, he's just, they're all just nice as the one before, like um John Ritter. I lucked out, but 99% of the time, the stars were great. And only once or twice are they a little full of themselves. So I lucked out.
1: That's really great to hear because you have worked with a lot of real big people. I was going to even ask about Dick Van Dyke later on. So that's great to hear you had a positive experience with him because oh, I've never heard anybody oh. say a bad
0: word about the man. Oh, never, never. And, and, and then right when we're done, okay, we finish. up, let's go to lunch. She's like, I'm I'm ready to turn and go the other way. And he's like, I'm going I'm, I'm to have lunch with Dick Van Dyke. Huh? Wow. <laughs> I got to call some people. My mom. That's amazing. Oh, her. I remember the first time I, I did something, I guess I was killing somebody. It, I don't know what it was, but it was, wasn't was good. And I called her and asked her what she thought. She's, you know, from Alabama. You had that accent and she said, you were good. Yeah. I just questioned how I raised you killing those people. So good. I'm like, mom, you know, it's not real. It's like you're wrestling. It's not real. And of course that starts a whole fight. <laughs> wrestling is real. <laughs> was um, your mom the
1: kind of mom that took you to see some Southern wrestling?
0: no but she'd watch it on tv and, and hated it whenever i would come in and that's not real you know i'm all shut up <laughs> she got to meet big john stud and that was thrilling to her that was he was in the marrying man with us he's like a six foot nine eight wrestler sick, yeah, six, nine. Oh,
1: i don't know if you know andre the giant hated that guy because he was uh he didn't like that there's another guy walking around that was as close to his height bigger than him
0: <laughs> yeah true
1: story Jeremy, we got a few things to talk about before we get to Star Trek, but there's one in particular that does have a Star Trek connection, uh, and that is Sister Act with Whoopi Goldberg. And again, I just got to rewatch this. I got to watch your scene. Uh, you're a biker in the biker bar that Sister Mary goes into. Uh, and I'd like to hear you know, how was your day with Whoopi Goldberg. Was that any good? Like, was she as friendly and warm as everybody else you've worked with at that point?
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I I would really be hard pressed to have anybody act like a star, like you think it would be full of diva. Just business did it said your hellos it was uh-huh, I'm just in the script I mean I didn't there was no uh it's, it's not much to say on a podcast about it, but she was friendly I mean the girl that came in, another nun that sort of has a stop next to me and a little flirtatious thing she was very friendly and nice but then she's not the star i I don't know <laughs> I didn't have any nothing negative at all, yeah all I'm thinking about most of the time is. Do I sound real? I mean, they sound real when they talk, but when I don't, I... I, I well. <laughs> well,
1: I, I got to tell you, you, know, I was telling my girlfriend that uh, I was going to be talking to you and I mentioned you were in Sister Act and her first thought was actually, he was the biker, wasn't he? So she like knew that scene right away. So it's definitely left uh, a pretty indelible mark on in a lot of people's minds. Uh And it's a really fun scene. Like I, the whole scene you mentioned also got Kathy and Jimmy in it. Uh The other nun, uh, I can't remember her name either, but yeah, it's a really fun scene. Uh But I, I'm kind of wondering, you know, like... There is a line where you guys basically have a little bit of back and forth when Kathy's doing her uh gravy dance, if you will. Basically Whoopi gives you this really dirty look. So I've always wondered, was there like a scene that was cut where you and Whoopi like said something else to each other after that happened?
0: Oh, I don't oh my, my memory. Ooh. It it could very well have things do get changed. I mean I I wrote rewrote things myself. Oh my god, I can't believe I said that. But uh <laughs> yeah, you, you can people Improv and you say something different, or I I probably was right online. I'm not going to be changing lines with a comedian. I mean, mean, of all people who would probably go with
1: it, though, I imagine like someone like Whoopi is good at improv, she could probably handle it. Oh, sure,
0: she probably would have loved it. And I probably did say something, things different. I'm just waiting for my my line (laughs) and hope it gets out of my mouth and I don't stutter and I don't think about anything like, oh, she was in whatever movie or oh, Academy Award winner. (laughs)
3: Yeah. trek untold will return momentarily trek untold is brought to you by triple fiction productions triple fiction productions produces affordable and unique 3d printed trek inspired products from the original series next generation deep space 9 voyager enterprise and the movies Ranging from prop replicas to use in a fan film or cosplay to accessories or playsets for figures in all different sizes, Triple Fiction Productions has got you covered. Past pieces for toys have included large centerpieces like 10 forward from the Enterprise D, shuttle crafts complete with working lights, and the Voyager Bridge, with smaller pieces including Borg alcoves, the Genesis device, and the dreaded arch-enemy of Wharf, Barrels. All highly detailed products are 3D printed and hand painted in the USA. With new items added all the time, while simultaneously improving their printing quality based on fan feedback. To learn more about their products, visit triple-fictionproductions.net or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com/triplefictionproductions. Want to get 10% off your next purchase? Use code UNTOLD10 at checkout to receive this discount not applicable during sales or clearance events. That's code UNTOLD10 to get 10% off action figure dioramas, accessories, and prop replicas. Triple Fiction Productions, taking Star Trek where no 3D printer has gone before.
2: Hey, I'm Licia Naff, a.k.a. Ensign Sonia Gomez from Star Trek TNG. And now, Captain Sonia Gomez on Lower Decks with her own ship, the Archimedes. Yay! I finally got a promotion after 25 years. So anyway, I'm here to talk about DriveByDugutters.org. It's a little charity I run where we go to the outskirts of Skidrow And from our car windows, we hand out basic human essentials like water, wipes, cold stream cheese, socks, tarps, masks, t-shirts, things to keep people warm. So we just think that everyone deserves clean water, some protein, and a way to clean themselves, especially during corona. We also hand out masks to those who really, really need it, who live in tents on the street, mainly the disabled and elderly who have a really hard time getting to services. We do all of this with no agenda, just pure giving, no overhead. If you'd like to go to the website and donate, it's 100% 100% tax deductible. And if you click on the donate button, you can go right to the $35 option and pick a signed autograph picture of either the Star Trek The Next Generation or Lowered X or Total Recall, where I played the three breasted mutant hooker on Mars. And uh, that's the X ray version. Put in the comments section your address and anything you'd like me to write, and I'll personally inscribe it and mail it off to you immediately. And again, that's drivebydugiters.org. Ensign, I mean, Captain sonia gomez
3: signing off we now return to trek untold
1: all right so jeremy let's uh, go ahead and jump on into our star trek discussion because we got a lot to dig through here so your first appearance in the franchise is star trek six you are lieutenant commander dimitri valtain uh you got to hang out on the excelsior with captain sulu uh so first things first how did you get cast in star trek six what was that audition process like
0: well, um most of them, you, you go through a, a casting director, reads you, and then if you're the next choice, four or five they bring to the producers, you'd go into an office and they'd uh, read you. And I got a call on the day and said to go to Paramount and go to this stage where obviously it was going on and they were shooting and I waited in the back. I waited while I watched them. I can't remember what, but when uh, Nicholas when he was finished, they were, on. oh, we've got the, and they read two of us, or they had read a couple others, he said, and I was just one of them. I guess the casting said, we've already read a couple, but we're doing it here instead of in the office. They don't have time to come over. So we're going to show it to them. So I, you know, I did the uh, praxis and the line or two, and he said, fine, he's great. And he walked away like, yeah, I got, He he had a movie to make, you know, I'm I'm just a couple of lines. So that was uh, that was it. And I don't think I really spoke to him again. We just we did our job. And I guess I always looked at if they don't talk to me, then I'm not doing it wrong or they haven't found out what's wrong about it yet. So if he doesn't come over and suggest things to me, then i'll just keep trying something
1: yeah this was nicholas meyer and you know folks also know that he directed wrath of khan uh which everybody pretty much says is like the best of the original series movies and there's no arguments for me here but uh star trek six is also one that's very much loved uh and i'd like to hear some more about meyer like i mean you mentioned he kind of just walked away didn't really interact with you necessarily that much but in terms of like interacting with other folks on set or interacting with george decay let's say on this set uh, i mean do you remember anything about like his directing style or how Mm -hmm. he was received by the other actors
0: he didn't. I didn't. You know that you hear about this stuff later. You know that there was a stink with Roddenberry, and he wasn't thrilled with script or this or that. Or you know, he, he ended up seeing it, and liking it later. But and they had a difficulty. And, and I had done a podcast where Meyer was Nicholas was there too, and he was. But then he's you know in this sense he was so talkative on the podcast, and they're not talkative to. <laughs> to the non-stars. I mean, there's no reason to be making up friendships. I can't imagine having any moment to think and be anything other than the director. I someone said, would well, you ever want to direct? And I go, Oh no, I've seen it. I, I, you have to be insane. I mean, I don't know how, why don't you teach acting? You blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I don't know what I would tell them how to do it. And if, if you're not doing it right, uh, I don't think you can just say, do it Right. <laughs> I had directors that can sit in your ear. They come up to you they, and they might in, in, in stage, always on stage. They're there to help and talk and work with you. If you're having a problem, but if you're, if you're doing it right and you're there on time and you're not causing any grief, they leave you alone if you're doing it right. So you don't really have a chance to, to be as big as, as I think you as as big as I look, I guess. I mean, because on, on a Star Trek thing, you're huge. You know, you're, and you're the first person that's going to talk. I mean, am I going to live up to them? Am I, am I, am I as good as anybody doing this? You know, we've got to, you know, everybody does it at Star Trek. They all do the turn. That should be part of these awards when they give it out the best acting. I judged <laughs> one recently for a, one coming up in the and uh, I judged fan, fan uh, films. I I was suggested to him, the creator, the starter, why don't you do that? should be like a a fun section that says uh, the turn, you know, who who won the best turn, you know, because every actor in a Star Trek has got the turn and says something to the director, you know, we've got a weenie in the warp drive, Captain, or whatever. I don't know. So that should be a, that's off the subject, but I don't think he had a directing style with me. I, I mean, he didn't ignore us. It was just, this is where you go and you walk over to him to say the line. that don't even tell you anything until you do it wrong, usually. That's the best director. You'll hmm. has nothing to say until you, you know, stink. So I try not to stink.
1: <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. So as a kid who was a fan of Star Trek, what was it like actually being on this kind of a set? I, was it basically like anything you'd ever done before?
0: Oh, no. Oh, God, no think of them all the biggies the sister act the mask or the any of them working west craven i mean a horror film with west craven come on and i'm a, I'm a lead in it it's just nothing as big as this and it never has been since i mean nothing you could do that's this big and a part this small and i don't mean it badly it's just very small that would have this kind of reaction everybody was in it because you've got to be part of it and and I don't know if everybody has the same feelings either, because I went and saw the show when it was starting on TV, and i followed it ever since. I didn't jump on and down about The Next Generation, but that might be just bitterness, because I didn't get in it. <laughs> well, you can't say that now without me having to follow up with that. I mean, did you audition for a TNG? No, I don't think I ever did. Uh, Battlestar Galactica, I did the Babylon 5, you know, uh, and I think Babylon 5, I went in three or four times to where It was like a few of the shows where they were even making jokes. We're gonna get you in a part, Jeremy. Ellie Law. They uh, said um, we got a cot set up in the back. i would read so many times. He kept <laughs> trying to get me in it. I don't know. I did end up in, in, in it, but uh, I don't. I, I'm off the subject now. Oh, it was. Oh, and seeing that set the first time. I mean, <sighs> I end up being. I end up having a a, a friend of ours, my mother-in-law. She passed away she started dating frank gorshin years back and he you know he was in star trek he was the white face uh, uh, let this be your last battlefield that episode in star trek he was an uh, improv improv and i loved it when i grew up as a kid i used to watch him on johnny carson jack parr all the time i loved that man next thing you know my mother-in-law's he's marrying she, she's gonna marry him, date him. <laughs> and he's at my house at thanksgiving and he's having drinks and and talking to famous people on the phone and i'm, I'm freaking out and I'm, I'm talking about the star trek he was in and so you get i'm getting all these things about star trek from him from you know other people that have been in it also and and then i'm i'm having lunch with the, the sulu i mean it's it it's it's chilling in a sense to anybody who's that much of a fan i was a fan and now i'm in it and then i'm lucky enough to get into deep space also and And then they wrote a part for me to come back as that part on a Voyager. And I, it just never got, it never got old and tired.
1: Yeah. We'll get to Voyager in a second, in fact. But since you mentioned going to lunch with Sulu, I mean, yeah, you're there with George Decay. He's the captain on the bridge in this part of the film. uh, And you're also there with Grace Lee Whitney, who was Janice Rand. And she got to reprise her role for the first time in a long time in Star Trek VI. So, yeah, like, do you have any onset memories
0: or offset memories of both those people? No, with them. It was just, I, I remember a perfect little lunch. Perfect little lunch, and nothing could have made it better short of you know having lunch with Nimoy across the board. And there's William Shatner, and there's Scotty, and no, I didn't get any of that. I mean, the only time we ever got to sort of meet them was when they had that they put on their costume while they were shooting ours. They stopped it for a moment, took shots of them sitting on the uh, captain's chair, and then we got to meet them. But guy would have loved to. But then still sitting there. I remember seeing an episode of Twilight Zone when I was younger. I Rem- remind you, because I watched that too. You know, anything space weird. Uh, and he did an episode of, of, of that. And it was amazing. And here he's there now next to me. We're having lunch. He eats like anybody else. It's just amazing. <laughs> he's not different. He's a guy. I know people probably want, don't want to hear that kind of stuff. He's just just <laughs> like you, just like me. You want them to be bigger, though. I mean, I did. I want them to be like Jim Carrey was big, or um, Ritter. You know, they just have a personality that just I love you. You know. that yeah.
1: Now you got to do some fun space acting also uh, in this in this particular film, which is when you're basically on the bridge and things are getting shot at and you're shaking all back and forth. Uh, how would you like the space acting? Do you get any motion sickness doing that?
0: <laughs> no, and then it Pretty doesn't move stuff. either. No, I think it's just the cameraman doing this. I think it was before uh, Marvel Comics and the movies nowadays. We were we were we were doing it for you, you know. <laughs> was this just like a one day shoot your part,
1: or how many was it more than one day?
0: Uh, God, I think it was two or three. I think it was two or three.
1: Uh, did you have any hard time remembering into the techno babble or things like that, or it was just kind of you know nothing nothing too out of the ballpark for you?
0: No, I don't remember it being no. Although I mean, because I've had right after that when the, when the movie aired, I remember going out and a couple of times being stopped. And one one particular time, these guys stopped. know, Yo, you, go oh, you're you're in search. Next thing you know, they bring me over to this guy. The guy could memorize the movie. I mean, he knew mine lines and everybody else's. I was just wow, wow. You're not going to let anything get by you. I, if I st, if I stunk, but yeah. yeah. I better remember the lines, but then I I, I did so many Shakespeare's that you know, if you can remember that, <laughs> I think about it now. When I go back, I haven't had twelve years where I haven't done anything. I, I retired, mm-hmm. and then you know I was going to come back right before the pandemic, and it and the pandemic haven't stopped. So now I'm getting all ready to go back with doing these, and uh, it's a, it's a different world, different world out there. We audition at home. You yeah. stick this phone in front of your face. It's just bizarre.
1: Well, the upside is there are new Star Trek shows coming out. So, hey, maybe we'll see uh, you as a new character one more time.
0: Yeah, we're a very old one. <laughs> My wife has said we're going to start sending pictures to the uh, Discovery casting and uh, Picard and uh, even the ones. Uh, doesn't uh, Janeway have one? I mean, she has an, an animated here. series now. Yep. She has a cartoon. Animated. Yeah, that would probably be best. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And I'm, I'm grateful that too, that you mentioned uh, the Voyager episode because that's what we're going to discuss next. And that is that uh, you got to have a very rare reappearance as the same character in the Star Trek franchise. You got to revive yeah. Commander Valtane in the uh, Voyager episode flashback. So, uh, what was it like basically going back to Starfleet here? I mean, basically, did they just call you up and say we need you back here? How, how did that audition work?
0: Yeah, I think it was a call from my agent. Just that they just got a script and you, I was like ready to read. And went, no, no, it's better. <laughs> <laughs> you're already in it i'm like what i was beyond thrilled like because I, you think you know you do a star trek and now it's great now let's just hope i have a career and I'll keep going yeah you don't think anything and then it's just then they did what i mean are, are you sure because <laughs> and i'm i'm it okay great i and 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 also not once in it do i think i ever remember realizing that i'm I die.
1: But <laughs> yeah, that I can't. was a surprise too.
0: Yeah, but it didn't seem, and I don't think at the time I would have mentioned it either to anyone because, you know, the alternative might be, oh, yeah, you're right. Let's cut it. Okay, <laughs> you're out. So,
1: yeah. yeah, it is kind of mentioned that your character is pretty important in that regard because your character's death is kind of the crux of what a lot of this episode is about. Uh, so, did you have any feelings about finding out that your character that you're finally reviving is also going to be dead by the end of like the third act?
0: No, I guess I was just so thrilled <laughs> I got to be in it. You're just happy to be back in the uniform. Yeah, I was just thrilled. I couldn't. I, I you never think. Oh well, of course this is going to lead to a series. <laughs> Nobody, you you can't. I know some people that think highly of themselves and think they should have a series, but I don't. I I wasn't that kind. I didn't. Uh, you know, when they say it now, they say, oh, we want to get you back. You could play, and blah, blah. I'm like, well, I certainly could be an alien. Because I, I do aliens well. <laughs> yeah,
1: that is true, yeah. There's a few prosthetic roles we'll be talking about in a few moments, in fact. But, uh yeah, so did George or Grace remember you at all from Star Trek VI? Do they recall working with you? That
0: didn't come up, and I'm probably glad it didn't, because I I don't know if I'd want to hear, Oh, you were <laughs> in it, too? Oh, yeah. No, they wouldn't have said it, because we're just repeating what we did in Star Trek VI with a little added. And a little bit of the add is also going to be the addition of
1: Kate Mulgrew and Tim Russ, uh, and yeah, I mean, you got to work with them pretty intimately, also. So, I mean, what was it like with those two folks? I mean, they are uh, masters of well, what they
0: do. Was, she's actually, my wife had met her years earlier. She was friends with her and had met her. So, it had a little bit easier to talk, you know, and, yeah. you know, with my wet, co- wet, my wife coming on the set and all. And so it made it a little. And then, like you said, it just becomes like normal day. I hate to say it sound, I'm not being arrogant. It's just, it's somebody. Like doing a scene with a pal I've, I've known all my life. Yeah. I don't. I didn't move her into the the William Shatner land or Leonard Nimoy yet, or Sulu. Oh my, yes. Well, there,
1: you go. that's that's like your audition tape right there for Star Trek Prodigy. That's perfect. You nailed it. <laughs> so yeah, outside <laughs> of Commander Voltane, you also got to do a DS Nine episode, which was Hippocratic Oath. And I'm I'm assuming again this was just basically uh, you weren't called in for this one. This was uh, an audition. Among other people.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I I luckily at that by that time my, I had uh, lucky to avoid the first step, the casting director, because they'd already known me. So they don't have to worry, they just move you right to the to the last four or five, depending on how many they take to the producer. And um it might have been a lot easier because I knew that I was gonna be completely masked playing this totally encased alien. So Most of them, you seem to be able to be easier. I I was very shy as a kid. I mean, I couldn't walk into a room. I was very shy. I don't know how I became an actor, but then when I did, I guess it was because I was able to become other people and I didn't have to be me. Um, And it was too hard to be uh, too shy, too nervous. uh, And uh, before going on stage, it would happen. You'd be nervous. But then once you got out, it was gone. And I think when it happened to film and TV, I, I... you have to go to your room and sit there for a half hour while they fix the set. And a lot of people stay in character and I, I just can't be an alien crazy that long. Who knows what that would be like? I don't know. How anyway, but I found that I was able to, you could go wild. I mean, what did you do on the set today? Is my my kids asked me you know, most of the time. Well, I'm robbing a bank or I'm, I'm, uh, I'm flying through the air as an, as a, Gargoyle of Satan, you know, whatever. Hercules, it's great.
1: And in this case, you're a gem Hadar alien who gets to basically be shot at. You know, as we mentioned, you're playing a Gem Hadar in this episode, which is an alien, a lot of heavy prosthetics. Was this the first role where you had done this much prosthetic work before?
0: I don't gosh, I don't I have to say I don't remember. Uh was would, it this, a, would this
1: have been before or after Hercules and Xena?
0: I think it was after. Well, I don't know. I'd have to
1: They're pretty close in timeline, that's why I can't remember either off the top of my
0: head. Gosh, I don't know if I, I know Buffy was later. Yep, but I don't remember. I do. well. yes, I think uh, I think they had to put me in a full body for Hercules. And that might have been the first. Okay. It was an all day thing. I mean, you've got a couple of holes here you can breathe through, and then you're in a body cast. I trust you all. Yeah, don't leave me here. Where are you going? You know yeah getting the
1: prosthetics is a very scary experience from what I've heard I haven't had it done myself and I'm pretty happy I haven't um but that's a that's a long process i mean do you remember what it was like to basically get the preparations to become the geminidar and how long that makeup took that when you were on set it's about five hours that's a five hour makeup job it's
0: that's that's like half your day you have and you're well you're there four or three or something <laughs> so by the time you're there five or six hours they're all rolling in just turning the lights on and you're but uh, you get to know a lot of makeup people. It's fun. I do. I did like that part. And uh, well, you know, it's only scary when you think about being completely encased in plaster.
1: Yeah, only scary. That's it. Just only a little bit scary. I mean, for me, that'd be like a nightmare. But for you, I mean, you've done it a bunch of
0: times in your career. So I mean, it, it never really bothered you. No, it is horrible each time. If I had to, if I had enclosed this the face, no matter how much you said, well, you have a tube. You're fine. I'm like, all I got to do is this, and I'm going I'm dead. You know, any jacket. No, I didn't enjoy it at all, and I never really wanted to do it again, but I would always do it. I did say no to one role. Occasionally, I'll say no to rape scenes or something. I just can't, I can't get into it. It's too too weird.
1: So this episode here, it's directed by Rene Arborgenois, which is awesome, because I, I love Rene. Uh, he's one of the guys, I wish I got the interview, but this show didn't exist, unfortunately, uh, till after he passed. Uh, you got to work with Alexander Siddig, you got Colmini, and then playing uh, your Hadar boss is Scott McDonald. So, uh, do you remember anything from the set? Do you have, do you have any onset memories from uh, your brief time there?
0: Well, no, this, just the most obvious. Just the one that, where I got sick in the makeup, other than that. <laughs> well,
1: you gotta tell me about that. I mean, that's, that's a whole story.
0: <laughs> oh, well, I was uh, slightly ill the day I came in. And, you're, you know, you got a job. You're not gonna, you're gonna be there if I'm dying. So I'm not going to tell anybody you know hide the sniffles the coughs. it's just cold and then the next day it's it's gotten so bad the night before I' thrown up at home and a form of flu was killing me so they uh I told them about it the makeup and the next day about the director in, and they talked about it with the producers and they said they just you know then they have to call the insurance companies and though we can't put him in this uh costume without some sort of safety net so they device something in the back of it that I could easily be zipped and pulled off if I had to, you know, relieve. And they had uh, baskets set up along the walking pattern that I had in this this one scene to where if I had to stop, I could randomly throw up in various buckets. But, uh, and it did occur. I did, I did have a freak out and I, I was removed from that. And they gave it to my stand-in, who had been putting on the makeup every day. Same. And he got to read for it. And he got part and got his side card. And he's probably famous now. I don't know his name. I wish I, if he ever hears these, call in and tell us. (laughs) Who are you now? Because, yeah, he got to finish it. So, And I watched it lately. I didn't watch it then, but I watched it lately. And I still can't really figure out which is me. Because they don't ever say, hey, Mesoclon. They don't ever say anyone's name, and the only time I can recognize me is uh, most of the voices. Everybody seemed to be doing something down here, like that was a uh, uh, that's the way they talk. But I came out like mine I think I, there was one line where I say, "What's this?" And I go, "Hey, that's me. I can hear me." But then after that, I, I and I don't I didn't save scripts. so I have some of them. I have um, like your call sheets, but. To see, to look back and see if there's any, you know, they had something on this call sheet, I think, relating to having to have that certain piece. Anyway, uh, yeah, so it wasn't fun, but it was throwing up on a set on a Star Trek. I can't really remember uh, the memory. Well, kind of moving ahead to a different role. We had already mentioned
1: this one a little bit here. Uh, you got to be in an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you got to play a monster named Kakistos. And that's the episode Faith, Hope and Trick. Uh, how was that makeup compared to the Gemhadar makeup? Because it's—I imagine they're both pretty heavy. Which one was worse for you?
0: Oh, the Hadar. because it was more enclosed. But I love the 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 Kikistos. I think it won. I think he won uh, an Emmy for his work for the for the that and others. Yeah, I, I, I totally completely enjoyed that one because it really didn't. I'm not really much different than I was. You know, just put a big old... Yeah, it was the same. <laughs> yeah. I loved it, of being the oldest vampire. Oh, come on, Buffy. It's another one of those. Not not Star Trek iconic, but they have rabidly magnificent fans. Oh, yeah, the Scoobies
1: it. are pretty nuts out there. The Scoobies are an awesome fan
0: base. <laughs> Is that a Scooby? Is that a word? That's what Meaning they call themselves, they're
1: the Scoobies. Huh. Yeah, there okay.
0: you go. I'm thinking this might be LOL or OMG or... You know, I don't know these, you know. I had a flip phone until like last year, so
1: <laughs> Yeah, in, in Buffy too, you get to have a big fight scene with Sarah Michelle Gellar, with Eliza Dukeshoe. Uh but you know, rewatching it, I I do this frame by frame. I can kinda tell when it's not Sarah Michelle and when it's not Eliza Dukeshoe. Uh so I'm curious, you know, how much of the stunts when you guys got to have that fight scene were you versus stunt performers? I mean, were you actually getting in there duking it out with stunt performers oh, yeah. or was it someone else?
0: They allowed me to do most of it. Oh, really? uh, okay. I don't think so. You know, yeah, I, I don't think there was much of a stand-in for me, because I think it would require a whole other makeup to put them together, but uh, we ended up laughing a lot through that anyway, just to, I, mean, I did a charmed episode where i am being threatened by three very four-foot-eight girls, and I, I I just can't see it, but I know it's in the lines, and I know they're witches, but they're children, they're girls. I'm, anyway, the same with this, we just kept you know, with this, this voice, and then, and then all of a sudden, this little girl, <laughs> we'd end up cracking up like uh, I think I did a uh, Xena once, and we had this big monster fight The end, big fight scene to end. And as we're going on there, and I'm choking her, and next thing you know, <pfft> I uh, I let loose a, a gastro, a fart, and it just breaks the whole setup. Because uh, you know, you're, you're struggling and pushing it, dig it! You yeah. know, thought and that was quite happened. funny. Yeah. I actually think it was Xena. It was, uh, Lucy, not me.
1: <laughs> sure. Well, okay. Well, we'll blame it on Lucy Lala. She's not here to defend no. herself.
0: No, I had such a crush on her. Oh, who gosh. didn't? Who didn't? Yeah. do <laughs> me a Coke.
1: <laughs> I think I have one here, actually. Uh, I'll, I'll get that really? you know, off, off camera, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was a fun episode. Again, I, I got to rewatch that and I was a big Buffy fan growing up. So seeing you and that, I was like, oh my God, I'm talking to this guy. That's so cool. And, uh, I was also having another little weird, nerdy flashback. Maybe you could answer this for me. I think where you guys filmed that fight scene was the LA version of the Ghostbusters Firehouse in New York. Do you recall like what that location
0: was? No, it was all on the set of a studio. Yeah.
1: Really? Okay. That- it's like, the interior It's so close to like the Ghostbusters Firehouse, because they have one built in LA also. And it looked like so close to it. It's amazing. Like, even the door yeah. almost looked like it.
0: I'm trying to re- rewind the, the actual sets and all, and it does. If I think about Ghostbusters. This kind of I'm 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 horrible to watch a movie with. I like you say you'll you'll go frame by frame. Oh, and I don't need to stop. I'm doing it while it's going. I'm <laughs> telling you about the guy behind the person who's got all the lines, or I'm saying, oh, this guy da, 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 I did a book. Did You're did you, did you running commentary did? track. Did you notice the cigarette? It was this long when they started, and it came back here. Oh, it's moving the cigarette continuity. And my wife says, "Get out." get out oh, shut up and
1: this is like my weird segue by the way because I mentioned the Ghostbusters Firehouse in LA because they actually reused it for another movie that you did which you mentioned already a few times that's the mask uh, I don't know if you know like in Jim Carrey's uh, when Jim Carrey goes to that garage to like get his car checked out that's actually the LA version of the Ghostbusters Firehouse so this is my weird little segue to get into the mask here but uh, yeah again I got to just rewatch oh. that because that's on HBO Max and uh, you got to manhandle Jim Carrey <laughs> that oh, has yeah. got to be a fun day
0: Oh, blast. Absolutely incredibly fun. I mean, I don't remember not laughing so much in my in my life. He's just, uh, he's a Robin Williams. He was Jonathan Winters. He, he's perfect. He can't, nothing comes out of his mouth. It's not funny. But then, you know, I like Dumb and Dumber too. But so <laughs> he was a day full of just ad libbed. Like you kind of go, are we shooting a movie? or are you just getting all these clips because this is going to be a, a real, you know, someone's going to make money on. I remember I always tell the story of him coming down these long steps at a, some famous hotel in uh, downtown LA. It's got like 80 steps and we're inside and I'm sitting at the bottom or somewhere in the middle. And next he's at the top and he looks around and he, he starts into do He does this opera. And I, I, I started just jumping in too. And he looks over and he comes down the thing to me. that thing to me, you know, I I'm giving it back to him, you know. And uh that was thrilling. I can I can die now, I guess.
1: Yeah, knowing about Jim's uh love for Andy Kaufman, I, I've always kind of wondered, you know, like how much of a method actor he was and how much he really got into the characters. So uh, I'm wondering, you know, your first scene you got to do with him in the mask, it's Jim Carrey, it's him as Stanley Ipkiss, but your second scene with him is he's now the mask. He's in the big green makeup. He's in the yellow suit. Is Jim Carrey like the same guy in between takes as he as he, as he is when he's not yeah. wearing the makeup? Like, is he still the same crazy
0: Jim Carrey? No change, really? Not much. No, I mean, it might get a little bigger with uh, that mask, but uh, no. I mean, did you see uh, probably did Liar? Liar Liar? Liar Liar. The outtakes from that were basically what was going on all the time. <laughs> it was just, he was just trying different things the whole time. And uh, you're just trying to get your line in and, and not smirk or, you know, <laughs> it's makes it worthwhile. I mean, yes, the, the money they pay you as an actor and uh, free trips, the first class, the, the craft services, all that's magnificent and fans. and But it's, it's that if you get the chance to be with any of these huge, you know, since I'm not going to get there, you know, I get to be in in their presence. I get to serve a drink to John Wayne. I get to, you know, uh, being Star Trek. You know, a line that I like. I'm going to say it's in Voyager, where I'm talking to Tuvok in the in, in the bunk. I've forgotten I just had that line. You, you uh, you, not Klingons. What? What's they're Vulcans. you Vulcans, well, Vulcans got to learn to relax, which is something so opposite of them <laughs> but i always thought that was a really good line I, I threw it off well i thought when i saw it again later like yeah you just threw that away that was pretty good i guess because you've seen people like carrying them how can you come up with 1700 versions of one line I, and all of them funny
1: well i mean not everybody can be a john wayne but not everybody can do what you do either and that's basically be those people that supply them with the material to help them be the john waynes the jim carrey's of the world i mean they oh, all I need guess. someone to set them up right
0: i guess yeah, I thought it was. We were throwing him out of the Coco Bongo Club, and I, I think we'd done it once, and then he, got up, and I said, "Can I? Can I get another one?" <laughs> kidding, and he got it. He fucking ooh, sorry. He got it. He laughed and <laughs> he, he did another one. I didn't need it. I was just kidding. You know, no. He did it again. He wanted to keep doing it. And Jeremy, I mean, there's a whole lot of stuff we can talk about on your resume
1: here because there's like over a hundred things just on IMDb. And I'm sure there's stuff missing, but uh, I think the last thing I want to talk about selfishly for myself is uh, you got to do an episode of Martial Law, and so few people oh, I talk wow. to get to do Martial Law and get to work with Samo Hung and Arsenio Hall. Uh, do you have any? Do you remember anything from your time on Martial Law?
0: No, I hate to say that, oh, but I'll be blunt. My final Not question's a- ruined. <laughs> no, but I do remember it being very. Uh, I, <sighs> You know, those movies where a lot of Bruce Lee things are going on, but when they jump to kick you, they seem to stay in the air way longer than physics allow. It just bugged me. And I I just said, oh, please don't let martial law have anything like that where I've got to jump in the air and look like I'm kicking fighting, but it didn't turn out to be that kind of a part. So, but no, no, it uh, wasn't. Wasn't that right after Arsenio had his own show? Yes, that was that was well okay. after. I'm sorry. Here's one of the shows that just didn't do anything. <laughs> Darn.
1: Well, I've been hoisted by my own petard, or hoisted by my own Picard. Maybe Picard. in this case, it's a Star <laughs> Trek podcast. So, comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Jeremy, I'm going to throw something real fast at you here. Think fast here. No. Fast day on set. Okay. seven years
0: it. old. We don't think fast.
1: All right, I'll take it slow then. I'll say it real slow. How about that? I'll
0: say it slower. <laughs>
1: What would you say was your best day on a set? And what was your worst nightmare day
0: on a set? Well, we know the worst, (laughs) Uh, nothing wrong, nothing worse than throwing up on camera. That's pretty rough. Uh, (laughs) Best. um, I've got to say pretty much every one of them after that, every one of them, except martial law. I can't remember (laughs) anything about martial law. It was obviously a good paycheck. I was so (laughs) grateful to get it, but no, I, I, Sounds terrible, but every other day after that, I mean, I I talk about my daughter wanting to go on the set, and most of her life she can't go because I'm going to be killing somebody, or or I'm cutting off a tattoo of Freddy's Nightmares, you know. It it just, you can't have a child. first thing she got to see was uh, Herbie Fully Loaded, that Disney (laughs) fantasy car series, and she actually got to go on the set, and you know enjoy that having a star for a father you know but uh yeah every day is is something i mean look at uh, when i on the fan side you're doing a star trek thing or a voyager all related and when they come back online and they say i went on imdb this jeremy's not in christmas vacation he's in he's in everything i ever grew up with he's in in and i'm like you remember, oh, I mean, that's a small part, but you remember Briscoe County Junior or The Pretender or uh, just name it. Uh, I've been in it. But then I, that's what makes every day. But then I think I got friends of mine like uh, Richard really. Do you know who he is? I know, Richard. We actually spoke on the show uh, last year, in fact. 350 credits. It's Man, is a phenomenon. I mean, and, and they're big ones. This guy is, this guy is. He's something. I mean, I look at the famous old people uh, in the '40s and '50s, and, and they've got three or four hundred credits. Everybody that movies were shorter, and they had shorts and things and stuff. Blah blah blah. But you know, Ward Bonds—these are the people that I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be the the guest, you know, the one who helps you get to fame. Which is just odd that I did have noticed this before—that I have everybody I've ever touched becomes famous. You know, if you're in a <laughs> I'm scene, glad with with me, you're famous.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I appreciate that. I now
0: I've I've made it. Now I just have to, uh, as the saying goes, I just touch myself and I'll be famous. But that's kind of creepy, so...
1: I'm not going to say anything about that one, Jeremy. I'm not no. touching that one. No, none that of that. joke
0: <laughs> died. This is why I'm not Jim Carrey.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like, looking through your resume, though, and don't even talk about some of the stuff we did today. I mean, you've worked with basically modern stars. You've worked with stars of yesteryear. Uh, you've gotten to work with a lot of big names. And I'm wondering is there any like piece of advice or any kind of thing that any of these people have ever told you, you know, any of these legends have ever told you any piece of advice about life or acting that has stuck with you to this day and that you use to this day?
0: Nobody ever tries to tell you how to act, but they always, um, I've always got the, it's just be yourself. You're going to be the best actor. If you've got, if there's a little bit of yourself in it, you can't help but If you're a good actor, it's going to be a little, you in it, you just can't. You know how many times you said that same line in your life. Now you're saying in front of a camera to be part of you. I mean, uh, Kelsey Grammer, Frazier, he is that. My wife is an ex girlfriend, not dropping names, but they were together eight years. And she said, That's who he is. He is that. He's just a little bit tweaked, a little freakier, you know, in real life. No kidding <laughs> on the show. <laughs> but uh, no, I, no, 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 no instant advice. But other than that one, there's a. You know, and of course, then there were the ones that you, I lived by, you show up on time, you know, your lines, you know, and don't complain. And that's what I did. I don't think I was ever late except once in 30 years, did the lines and I, they end up hiring you again. And now on TV, it's different too, because TV, they, they don't have the time. And if you're going to sit there and take a take a take, you're not going to get hired again. Right. Um, but I was perfectly happy getting the jobs that I got, and I think that's probably what kept me. I never, I never had the thought that I would. Oh, I want to be famous. I want to be a star. I want to be. I never I never thought of it. Never, it didn't didn't come up. And then when I got the first job, and I got the first agent, I got the first second job, and it just. I'm not complaining because I keep working. So what, what do I? What do I want you to do more of? You're doing, for me, what you should as an agent, manager, etc. I enjoyed it. Now I'm going to go back and now I'm going to be famous.
1: (laughs) All right. So, Jeremy, last thing for today. What is the best part about being a part of the Star Trek universe?
0: Oh, huh. Oh, well, uh, before the last uh, five months with the podcasts and people and joining fan clubs and being part of that, that trick. Um, franchise. It was. It was uh, before that. It was. It was the actual being in it, it to the fact that I actually got into something that I don't want to say worship, but loved as a kid, and I'm actually going to be in it. And it's and it's in. I was going to be in the one, the first one, not all the others after. It was that one, because I knew that that would go away, and they would have a new one. and the next generation was it, and then and then and then. But it was that I now. It's the way the fans reacted to it. To you know, I'm not William Shatner. I'm not any of them. I'm, I, I, I barely kept the movie started. That's it. You know, that's it. And then you're, there's no need for us to even be there. But, and so small. But they make it so large. The fans make it, make it incredibly. Uh, well, that was the answer. It was the after the last six months because the first 15, 20 years I never never did interviews. I didn't, it wasn't like thrown at you like it is now because you have this thing, you know, internet, social. Then it was, you go there to the Beverly Hills Hotel and you have an interview for whatever you're doing and kind of thing. That's different. You don't get to see fans. You don't, you're you not joining fan clubs or you're not having people come back and say, you've, you've done more than that. I think that's the Star Trek thing. I loved it.
1: And that's how I found out about you, was through social media, because I saw you in some of the Facebook fan groups that I'm in, and I'm glad that you were there. I'm glad that you were proactive in being on the social media, and that I got to meet you this way, and uh, especially get the chance to do this interview with you, because, yeah, I got to revisit a lot of my childhood and just looking at how much stuff you did, I mean, there's so much we didn't even talk about. I mean, we didn't even discuss, we didn't even talk about Matlock. Uh, that's probably a whole other oh, story. But oh. there's so much you've done. It's been you've had a pretty amazing career. I mean, all things said, you've gotten to work with some truly amazing people. And uh, you know, I'm just grateful to today to spend some time with you and hear some of those stories. So thank you well, Jeremy, so much.
0: When you say Matlock was just almost as big to me because <laughs> if it wasn't Star Trek, I was watching Andy Griffith. I mean, I am Andy Griffith, the the Rifleman, courtship of Eddie's father. I mean, because I, I didn't have a dad in a sense, my stepdad. So I went to these shows and, and Andy Griffith, and then to be able to go on and not only just meet him and work with him, there's Barney. My God, I'm, I'm getting to see Barney. It was just, uh, it, was, it was the Star Trek experience before I had it. Amazing. I loved it.
1: I just love that you had all these really great experiences with so many really big, awesome people. I mean, that that in itself is just amazing.
0: Yeah. I'm very happy, very pleased, very lucky. That's one big part of business: being lucky.
1: Well, I'm glad you were lucky. I'm glad I got lucky seeing your Facebook post, or else I would never have known about you either. So I'm, I'm glad that we got to do this. Glad we got to meet, and uh, I hope one day I can actually meet you at a convention if you're doing those. Have, have you done any conventions before, uh, I did, before? COVID? I
0: did. I did one or two when I was in Alabama with my mother and father when they were. Uh, my mother was passing away about seven years ago. I went and I did one. Somebody saw me in a comic book store and said, "Hey, you're you're uh, in you know you're Lieutenant Valtaine. The next thing you know, they're hooking me up to a, a convention there. And I did a few more. Then I stopped the last eight years and then they hooked me up again with a, a, another signing agent. I'm doing i I'm doing the Hollywood show next year. I think it's in March or April. I'll be doing that. I, I got to do one in Hollywood years ago when Frank Gorshin was dating my mother-in-law and I got to sit there and, there's Frank Gorshin and there's all these other huge stars having this signing. And I like, what am I here for? And I'm, you know, then there's a Val Kilmer right next thing. I'm like, this, I, I, I shouldn't even be here. Why am I here? Cause look at him. Oh, ah. anyway, that was a thrill a thrill. So I'm going to be doing that next year. Well, Jeremy, thank you
1: so much for chatting today. Tell us about all these great stories. I know we got a whole lot more, but uh, you know, there's a whole, uh, clearly there's a whole lot more we can talk about here. That's like going to be a, a sequel episode, maybe. So hopefully, we get to see you another episode of Star Trek. We get you back here, and we will do the follow up. So that's that's well, the hope. That hopes. would
0: be great. That would be great. I'm all for that.
1: All right, well, Jeremy, thank you so much. We'll talk to you. Thanks soon. for having
0: me. It was a blast.
1: That's it for this week's episode of Trek Untold. Until next time, please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you're in a position to financially support the show, please consider becoming a supporter over on patreon.com slash trekuntold or pick up some merchandise from our Redbubble store. If you're looking for direct links for any of these things, links will be right in the show notes. If you have any questions or comments for the show or would like to suggest a guest or discuss any sponsorship ideas with us, send me a message at trekuntold at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Trek Untold and for continuing to support this show. I hope you'll come back next time to learn more stories about Star Trek and beyond. Until then, I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and always remember, fortune favors the bold.
3: Trek Untold is sponsored by treksphere.com, promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms, is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network, and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.